because on the next day that Moses set to judge the people, and the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did for the people, he said, what is this thing that you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit and all the people stand before you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, it's just the way we roll. That's foster version. Uh, Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people came to inquire, come to inquire uh, of God to me. When they have difficulty, they come to me, and I judge between one another, and I make known the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, This thing you do is not good. Both you and the people who are with you will surely wear yourselves out, for this thing is too much for you. You're not able to perform it by yourself. Listen now to my voice, and I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people so that you may bring the difficulties to God. And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws and show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, Moses, but every small matter they themselves shall judge. So it will be easier for you, for they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, Watch this close. Then you will be able to endure, and all this people will also go to their place in peace. So Moses heeded. This is really strong right here. So Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. And Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. So they judged the people at all times, and the hard cases they brought to Moses, but they judged every small case themselves. And so Moses' father-in-law had come to visit. And I guess this was take your father-in-law to work day. All right, because his father-in-law went to work with him. And here there's approximately, now get a load of this, there's approximately 2 million people. And Moses is taking this whole thing on him. No wonder he's struggling. No wonder he's having a hard time. He's taken this whole thing on himself. Can you imagine trying to handle the problems of two million plus people? Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, that's got to be worse than a trip to the DMV. Anybody, is y'all's department motor vehicles like ours is? 
I mean, man, it takes absolutely forever to get anything done. And so Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, said, what is this that you're doing? Why are you sitting alone and doing this? He said, Moses, my son, have you lost your ever-loving mind? And Moses again said, that's just the way we roll. That's the way we do it. And so Jethro, and good for Jethro, Jethro called him out on his leadership. And Moses began to understand that I am the bottleneck of a broken system that is causing confusion and exhaustion. And when this happens, when we become the bottleneck of a broken system and we don't have systems in place, then we begin managing the problems of an inefficient approach and we're not actually managing the real problems. So we're talking about that. So what I'm saying is, in your department, whatever department you lead, don't be the lone ranger. All right? One person can't do it all. When, when we went, when I went back home to West Monroe, after having been gone, I assisted my dad, and then we were gone for 21 years, Paul and I were. Then we went back home uh, after Dad retired, the church elected his pastor, and, and so we went back to pastor. Well, I couldn't do some of the things my dad was doing. And one of the things my dad was doing was my dad was the king of hospital visitation. And he was doing all the hospital visitation. He was there when they, when they had surgery in the morning. Now, he didn't stay until the surgery was over. He just went back. He was there... Six in the morning, prayed for him. Then he'd come back when surgery was over. Then he would come back. It was really serious that evening. And then he was visiting those in the hospital every day. He's going to the hospitals every day. Well, I was winding up spending hours at the hospital. I said, God, uh, this is not the answer. This is not the answer. And uh, it, this is a broken system. And so we appointed a hospital pastor. And so I had a hospital pastor that went and prayed for me, that, that visited. I visited occasionally if I needed to. I'll never forget uh, what, what uh, Brother Haney's assistant, uh, Chester Mitchell, told me. Now, Chester's been out 25 years or more uh, up in Maryland area, close to Washington, D.C., started a church up there, Pastor's Great Church, but he assisted Brother Haney out in California uh, for a number of years, and he went to the hospital one day. And when he went to the hospital that day, the man was angry that was there. And he said, he said uh, uh, why hasn't Brother Haney? I want the pastor here. You're, you're, you're not the pastor. You're a pastor. You're not the pastor. I want the pastor here. And so, Brother Mitchell, you got to know him. He's, he's real smooth and easygoing. And he said, uh, you really don't want him to come. He said, oh, yes, I do. I, w you, I want you to send a message to him and you tell him that I want to see him walking through the door. He said, you really do. He said, yes, I do. He said, well, 
what you've got to understand is if Pastor Haney darkens the door of your hospital room, it means you're dying. And he looked and he said, tell him it's okay. Tell, tell, tell him I'll be okay. Tell him I'll see him at church. <laughs> so you don't want to be the Lone Ranger. You've got to understand that one person can't do it all. Moses began to understand this, uh, and he listened to his father-in-law. Now, the great point here to make, and, and watch this close, is Moses was able to take coaching. Am I able to take coaching? Moses could have said, wait a minute, Jethro, I know you're my father-in-law and all that. You know, that's really good, but I am the anointed leader. I am the leader chosen by God. Have you forgotten that? God picked me out of all these people. In fact, God took picked me and brought me back. He didn't actually pick anybody out of these people. He brought me back here. So I don't think I need your help. No, Moses was coachable. The greatest golfers in the world have coaches. The greatest athletes in the world have coaches. I want you to I want you to think about that. And so he listened and he and he heeded. Let me just say this. If you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. If I'm the smartest person in the room, I'm in the wrong room. I want to surround myself with people who are smarter than I am, who know more than I am, so I can learn from them. And we can bring all of our giftings to the table and get the job done. So I want to give you three things here. He was willing to change. Three things that Moses was willing to change. Number one, he was willing to change his way of thinking. Number one, he was willing to change his thinking. Number two, he he changed his way of working. And number three, he changed his methods. So he changed his thinking, he changed his way of working, and he changed his methods. Now, it's imperative that I catch the vision of working myself out of a job. All right, look at somebody and say, you need to work yourself out of a job. All right, now, it's, it's, it's been one of the things in churches forever that if I'm in this position, I own this position and nobody else can have this position. And if anybody else thinks about having this position, I'm going to mash them. All right? Because this is my position. That is horrible thinking. I'm always wanting to work myself out of a job. All right? And that's what we taught our church. Work yourself out of a job. That's what Pastor Jason, I've been retired from uh, pastoring now for uh, over five years, and Pastor Jason has has become the pastor of our church, elected uh, over five years ago, and he's doing phenomenal. But he's teaching the same thing. Work yourself out of a job. Why? Because we want to grow. And as we grow, we're going to need more people that's doing the same job you're doing. And we may need you in another area. So train somebody. As a pastor, I wanted to do the same thing. 
As a pastor, my church, the church I pastored, appreciated the fact that when I was gone, I had somebody there that could preach and that thing went and, and lead and that thing went on just like I was there. That's good. And so if you're gone, if you're a Sunday school teacher, if you're in charge of Sunday school, if, if you're a student pastor, if you're a music director, if you're a director of ushers and greeters, uh, whatever it is, uh, I don't want this thing to fall apart if I take a three-week vacation. Right? I want somebody that's able to fill in. So I want this to run just as smooth while I'm gone as it runs while I'm here. And you know what? I've got a man right now that's pastoring the church that I pastored. And he slid right into that role when he was elected. We had a, we had a, a uh, installation service. Brother Tenney came and installed me as bishop, installed him as the lead pastor. And brother, he or the church hasn't looked back. That thing has been rolling ever since. Uh, so, so that's important. Now I want you to notice this. Some revolutionary things happened after Jethro confronted Moses over his leadership message. Moses, watch this close, Moses moved from merely ministering to both ministering and leading, and leading well. He wasn't really leading. He was the leader, but he wasn't leading well. And he moved from ministering to doing both, ministering and leading well. Instead of doing all the judging himself, he released other leaders and led to, to lead according to their gifts. So I want to give you seven points here that, that happened from verses 19 to 22 that I've read you today. All right, here, here's seven things that happened to Moses when he did this. Number one, he became a man of prayer. He had time to pray. All right, number two, he committed to, that's verse 19, number one. Number two, he committed to com communication. That's verse 20. Number three in verse 20, he laid out the vision. Number four, number three is he laid out the vision. Number four in verse 20, he developed a plan. So number one, he became a man of prayer. Number two, he committed to communication. Number three, he laid out the vision. Number four, he developed a plan. Number five, and this is in verse 21, he selected, trained, and develop leaders. That's paramount of a leader. To select, to train, and develop leaders. That's verse 22. Number six, I'm sorry, that's verse 21. Number six is verse 22. He then released them to do the work. He turned them loose. And then number seven, and this is really important, and this is in verse 22. He did only what they could not do. So as a leader, I'm supposed to be turning my people loose to do what they can do, and I'm supposed to be doing it. So if I'm doing it all, then I'm not so we're talking about carrying our leadership to the next level, okay? 
And so at this point, did, did we get all seven points? Anybody miss them? All right, because I'll, I'll go back and give them to you if, you if you don't have them. All right, so at this point, the leadership and the leading of Israel grew exponentially. Why? Empowerment was happening. Jethro had empowered Moses and set him free because Moses took the coaching. I've got to be coachable. I've got to be teachable, all right? And then Moses, in turn, began to empower leaders and set them free to lead. And this is what happens at this point is synergy is created. Synergy goes beyond... One plus one equals two. Synergy, I keep getting away from the microphone. I forget I don't have one on me here. Synergy is one plus one equals four. What are you saying? All right. Let's, let, let, let's look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 30. Deuteronomy 32 and 30. How could one man chase a thousand? Or two put 10,000 to flight. Well, it seems like if one can chase 1,000, put 1,000 to flight, two could put 2,000 to flight. But the scripture says two could put 10,000 to flight unless their rock had sold them, unless the rock had given them, the Lord had given them up. Now, let's bring it, let's bring it down a little closer to home. Okay, if you study draft horses... The big, the big Pergerons and 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 Clydesdales and and uh, are, look at the look at the Budweiser team. Uh, don't go drink Budweiser, but just just look at the team, okay? <laughs> and, and 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 you see those big draft horses. So this is what happens. They say that one of those great big horses can pull. Now I don't know. I I, I don't know whether this is. I'd have to go back and look at it whether this is on wheels or whether this is just stuff laying flat on the ground. I don't know about that. But whatever test they ran, one could pull about 8,000 pounds. So it goes to reason that two could pull, ought to be able to pull 16,000 pounds, right? All right. When they put two together, they found that two of them could pull anywhere from 20,000 pounds, even up some of, some of them to harness together could pull up to 32,000 pounds. Now you think about that. That is what, if you look up the definition of synergy, that's what synergy is when people begin to work together. That's why unity in a church and unity among leaders is so paramount. Because synergy means that, that, that two of us can do far times more than what two of us ought to be able to do if we're working together. Now, let me give you four things that happened when Moses changed. And this is, this is found in the 23rd verse of Exodus 18. Four things, I'm sorry, three things that happened when Moses changed and for the better. Number one, the scripture says... God supplied strength for Moses. You ever run into a leader that's tired all the time? Oh, I'm, just, I'm falling apart. I've run into leaders. In fact, I've been that leader. 
when I wasn't leading right. All right? And so God supplied strength for Moses. Number two, God supplied peace for the people. And number three, God empowered a whole host of new leaders. You think about that. So let me give you Jethro's three-pronged approach. Now, am, am I going too fast? Did you get all three of those? Okay, some of you didn't. Okay, number one, God supplied strength for Moses. Strength for Moses. Number two, peace for the people. And number three, empowerment for a whole host of new leaders. Don't, don't, don't fail or feel bad about stopping me, okay? Don't fail to stop me or feel bad. All right, all right. Let me give you, Jethro had a three-pronged approach to Moses. All right, number one, here's what, here's what he said. Number one, pray. So what's that? Go to God for, I want to go to God for vision. I'm leading, I'm leading the ushers and the greeters. So I want to go to God for vision. I, I, I want to know, do, do, do we want people out there on, on the street holding signs in the parking lot as they come in? What, God, give me a vision. What do, what do I want to do? Do, do, I want, do I want folks in the foyer slapping high five to people when they're coming in? How, how, God, what kind of vision do we want? What kind of culture? And that's another whole lesson about setting the culture. That's another leadership lesson. But what, what, are, we, what are we trying to do here? All right? So, so number one, pray. Go to God for vision. Number two, teach. Teach people how to solve problems and find God. You teach people. So you go to God for vision, then you cast your vision to your leaders, and then you teach them how to solve problems and find God. And then number three, you delegate. Delegate to the leaders. So his three-pronged approach was pray, teach, and delegate. So that's a part of your job as a leader. Whatever team you're leading, catch vision. Now, the only person that can cast vision for the church is Pastor Byron. Nobody else. He can't delegate that to anybody else. But there's a whole lot else he can delegate to others that they can do. You see, if we are a church, and, and that's another whole lesson that I've got that we, we won't have time to go into here, but if we are a church where the pastor does everything, then we're not going to grow much beyond where we are right now, if any. Because if the pastor has to do it all, he can only go... To a, the church can only go to a certain level. But if, if we will allow the pastor to cast the vision and to teach us how to do it uh, and then delegate it to us and then we take the ball and run with it, there's no end to what God can do. All right? Now, there's four problems for Moses that Moses had. So let's talk about them. Did everybody get the three? Pray, teach, and delegate. All right, so there's four problems for Moses. Number one, Moses had a priority issue. It's imperative that I set my priorities right, that I prioritize the right things. So Moses was giving himself to secondary things, not the primary things. He had a prioritizing issue, problem. Number two, 
He had a training issue. Number one, he had a prioritizing issue. Number two, he had a training issue. He didn't train anyone to lead. All right? Number three, he had a system issue. Moses was the system. Now, what would you think if there's a city of two million people and you talk to the mayor and you say, well, how are you going to handle how, how do you handle everything? The mayor says, I handle it all. I make all the decisions at City Hall. I go and I sit in the courtroom and, and, and I'm the judge. I'm, by the way, I'm the district attorney too. Well, we would say this guy is a certified, classified idiot. <laughs> All right? But think about that. That is the Now, that's what Moses was doing, but that's the way some folks lead their departments. Is I'm, I'm it. The system's really broken if I'm the system. All right? And that was the problem. Moses was the system. When you are the system, you become a bottleneck. We don't have time to go into systems today. That's another lesson. But systems are very important. In other words, we've got to know what we're doing. All right? Then number four, Moses had a delegation issue. Not only did he train, did not train people, he never appointed anybody, never delegated to anybody. So number one, he had a priority issue. Number two, he had a training issue. Number three, he had a problem issue. And number four... He had, I'm sorry, he had a system issue, number three. And number four, he had a delegation issue. We all got that? All right, now, I'm going to give you three points here that Moses had to learn. Three things Moses had to learn. All right, Moses had to learn, number one, to lead himself. And before I can lead anybody else... Before I can even lead my family, before I can lead my wife, I've got to learn how to lead myself. And I'm the hardest guy to lead. All right? I've got to, I've got to lead myself. I've got to, I've got to be disciplined in, in many areas of my life if I'm going to be a leader, if anybody's going to follow me. Number two, after learning to lead himself, and he did learn to lead himself. Number two, he had to learn how to lead others. So once I learn how to lead myself, if I'm a good leader of myself, then I want to learn how to lead others because I want to be a good leader of others. I want to be a good leader of my family, first and foremost. First myself, then my family. If I, I, I can't lead my family well as a, as a dad, as a husband, I can't lead my family well if I can't lead myself well. And so, so that's imperative. All right, then number three, he had to learn how to manage his work. And let, me, let me just say this. Sometimes we become so intoxicated with leadership that we undervalue management. All right, now, now don't misunderstand me. We've got to leave. Okay, we've got to have leadership, but we've also got to have good management. Leadership without good management 
results in chaos instead of progress. So let me give you the difference here. Management oversees what needs to be done today. All right? Leadership moves people into tomorrow. There's your difference. So we've got to be managing what's going on today. We've got to manage the process of today. We've got to oversee what needs to be done today. But we've got to have a leader that's going to lead us into tomorrow. If all we're doing is managing today, we're forgetting about tomorrow. But if all we're doing is projecting vision for tomorrow, we're not leading today and managing today. All right? So having said that, management is highly important, but don't default to only managing. At the same time... Don't underestimate the value of managing. It's very important that we that, that we have both. And so sometimes you'll have one person that'll lead, another person that manages. All right. Uh, so management. What is management? Management is the process of reaching organizational goals, working through th- three things. You ready for this? Management's the process of reaching our organizational goals. This is whether in a company or, or, or in a church. But management's the process of reaching organizational goals, working with three things. Number one, people. Number two, systems. Number three, resources. And I put it like this. Management is about moving the ball down the field. All right. Tom Brady. A lot of people call him the GOAT. All right? And he may be. You know, there's some others I like. Drew Brees, I like Drew Brees. All right? But Tom Brady and Drew Brees know how to manage a football game. All right? What do I mean? What do I mean? They, they manage moving the ball down the field. They're also great leaders. You know what they are? They're great leaders on the field and off the field. All right? They're leaders in the locker room. They're leaders on the field. They're leaders in the community. Because I'm from Louisiana, I know a lot about what Drew Brees does in the community. And it's absolutely incredible what he does for the city of New Orleans and for the people of New Orleans. And what he's still doing now that he's retired. All right? But they also, they're not just great leaders. These guys know how to manage getting getting the ball down the field. They know how to manage the clock when time's running down. And then, of course, the coach is a great part of all of that as well. All right? And so so it's very important that we understand this. Uh, So management is this. Let me give you this. Management is four things. Management is vision to strategy to execution to implementation. So a manager either is the leader that casts the vision or he's the guy that the the leader has already cast the vision and, and said, now take this vision and strategize. Go to strategy. Number, and then go to execution. You've got to execute, and then you've got to put it into implementation. Okay, so here's what i got to do as a leader. Did you get that vision, 
strategy, execution, implementation. All right, now, what, so what do I need to do as a leader? Uh, let me give you some things right here. Number one, as a leader, I've got to get clear about priorities. Get clear about priorities. We often mistake activity for productivity. So often, now watch this close. So often, our focus is on output rather than outcome. The outcome is more important than the output. We can be doing a lot of, lot of work and it's just busy work. And it's not providing the outcome we need. But we're busy. We put our time in. But we didn't get accomplished what needed to be accomplished. So we show up, we work hard, but what is the outcome? So here's what I'm saying. Measure results, not activity. It's the old adage of work smarter, not necessarily harder. Okay? So somebody can put in a whole lot more activity and may not have the same results because it's not the right activity. All right? So, so we're, we're, we're talking about the outcome rather than the output. Uh, now, understand this. I, I work with a to-do list. I love a to-do list. My wife taught me how to do that. I didn't. I wasn't into that. And and we got married. And man, she she had a list for absolutely everything, and it worked. It was really good. And of course, sometimes that list was things for me to do too. You know, so that wasn't really exciting. But anyway, understand this. Now watch this close. A to-do list is not a must-do list. Some folks get lost in their to-do list, all right, because they put a lot of things on their to-do list. John Maxwell said this, you cannot overestimate the unimportance of almost everything. Now, that sounds weird until you think about it, all right? Look at your to-do list. Now, when I make a to-do list, once I make my to-do list, then I go back and I prioritize my to-do list. One, two, three. What is the most important thing on that to-do list? It's, it's very easy. If we're not careful, it's very easy on that to-do list to do the easy things first instead of the important things. This is real important here, but boy, these three things right here are a whole lot easier. I'm going to do this. That phone call, oh, I don't need uh, that phone. That's going to be a hard phone call. <laughs> anybody, anybody ever done something like that? All right. So, so what you want to do is you want to look, and the most important thing on that list needs to become number one because you've got to get it done. Because it doesn't matter how, how good my to-do list is, if I come to the end of the day... And it's all said and done, and I look over my to-do list, and I got a bunch of stuff done, but I didn't get the important things done. So, 
Moses got caught up in the urgent and was letting the important go. There's a little book. Pastor Meyer and I were talking about it the other day. There's a little book, a little bitty. It's been around forever. It's about that thick. You can find it on Amazon. The tyranny of the urgent is what it's called. And just in a nutshell, what it's about is when the urgent displaces the important. And so you take care of the urgent, but you don't take care of the important. You ever heard the squeaky wheel gets the grease? Okay, sometimes a squeaky wheel in an organization may not be the priority right now. We may need to get this done before we take care of this guy over here that, that's yang-yang all the time. All right? And so, so we want to do what is important. Uh, that, that's very important. Uh, so the question that I need to ask in my leadership is this. Is the thing I'm doing right now the most important thing I should be working on and the best use of my time and my priorities? Because it's easy to do that busy work. To just feel good. We've, you know, we put our time in, but okay. All right, so clear priorities help me say no to secondary things so that I can say yes to primary things. So I think it would be good if, if, if all of you leaders would, would just make a little list and, and, and just uh, four things that I need to prioritize in the next four weeks for my ministry. And let me check them off one week at a time. I, I, I think that would be important. So what, And think about it right now on your job, even on your job. Your secular job. What are your personal priorities on your job? Now, I would think for the pastor. All right, and this just goes with any church. It was, it was, it was, it was for me as a pastor. Here's the thing: three things that are of utmost importance for a pastor is number one, protecting the vision of our church and leading myself and my family well. Number two, preaching and teaching strong. And number three, delegating and leading others. Those are three things that are very important. And they were to me as a pastor. All right, number two. Number one, uh, get clear about priorities. Number two, as a leader, inspire people to fully engage in everything that God has called them to and to live out our mission together. And so... What you want your team to feel like is we're family. We're a family. We're going to look after one another. We're all in this together. It's not about the big eyes and the little U's, but, but it's about us pulling together to build this team, to build our particular department or ministry in this church, to help build this great church, to reach this wonderful city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's, that's what we want to do. And so it's about our personal productivity and, and, and performance. What are my highest priorities? Ask yourself that question. What are 
my highest priorities. And then think of ask this question. What is the 20% of my time that is the least fruitful? And, and then another question. What is the most urgent that isn't the most important? All right, then number three. Become a student of yourself and your teammates. What do I mean by that? Well, become a student of yourself. In other words, well, let me just say, put it this way. What are my personal rhythms? What are your personal rhythms? Well, what do you mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is what time of the day? One of the things is what time of the day am I most productive? What is my most productive time of the day? Is it from 6 to 10? Is it from 10 to 10 to Three, when, when, when do I feel the most energy and, 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 and I get the most done? When, when am I my best during the day? That's when I need to take care of some things. At that time, I know my rhythms. I know my personal uh, rhythms. And, and so it's important to, to with your team. You, you know, you, you have a meeting day, and, 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 and at that time, you, you get creative. You, you, you build maybe a creative team. I know we had a creative team. Jason's got an even better creative team now than I had when, when I was pastoring. And, and the creative team and what we did and what he does as a pastor and what I do as pastors is tell them, this is the direction I'm going. This is the message I want to preach. Now help me. And... Man, they would come up with some phenomenal ideas. Great illustrations. All right? And, 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 and great visuals. That, that, we, that was a creative team. So you can put together a creative team. You can have a thinking day. Uh, so, so anyway, just understand how your team's wired too. Know their story. We've all got a story. So I want to know. If somebody's going through something right now on my team, I want to know about it. I want to know about it. Now, you know, when, when I was pastor, uh, one of the things we, we had, like, uh, we had, I don't know, a few employees that, that we hired full-time. But one of the things that was our mantra was moodiness. Buckle your seatbelt, okay? I don't, I don't want anybody hurt on this one. I don't want anybody to get hurt on this one, Okay. So buckle your seatbelt, turn around to somebody and touch them. Just say, are you ready? All right. Moodiness was grounds or is grounds for immediate dismissal. We got quiet on that one. This is not a place for moody people to work. This is a happy place to work. This is a great place to work. If you're moody, leave your moods at home or quit. Sorry. I'm probably just too tough of a guy, you know, I don't know. But, you know, now, now what I, what I, the reason I told you that was because I said I want to know what my people are going through. Here's the thing. If somebody on my team is going in, 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 in our offices and, and, and campus and so forth, if somebody's going through something, that's not necessarily moodiness. If, if they're really dealing with something, we understand that we're going to help them. But if they just get up in a bad mood, 
If they just, if they have to have, listen, we have no place here for anybody to work if we can't speak to you before 10 in the morning and after your sixth cup of coffee. <laughs> Hallelujah, anyhow. <laughs> As old Charlie would say, Pastor Meyer Mahaney, Hallelujah. <laughs> so you want to know your team's story. Uh, and, and, and so, so that, that's a good thing. And, uh, so number four, I, I got to hurry. I'm, I'm just about done. Number four, be a hungry learner, be a hungry learner. All leaders are learners and leaders are readers, you know? So, so what I want to do is I want to read everything I can about the group or, or about what I'm doing. Whatever I'm doing, I want to read everything I can. If I'm in youth ministry, I want to read every book I can get my hands on about, about youth ministry. Uh, whatever it is, I want, to, I want to learn. I'm learning. I want to make myself better. And so what I want to do, and, and as a pastor, I, I would talk to people all over the country. I went and, I went and talked to people that, 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 that were not UPC, but they were just building great churches. I want to find out how they're doing it, what they're doing. All right? So who does my job better than anybody else in the country? If it's, if it's, if it's somebody in Dallas or somebody in Houston or, 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 or somebody in, in one of the smaller towns, I want to call whoever, whoever's taking care of, whoever's leading the position that I'm leading here, and I want to find out what they're doing, how they're doing it. I want, I want to pick their brain because I want to learn. I don't have to invent the wheel. If somebody else is doing it better, let me learn how to do it. And so, so that, that's important. Uh, and, uh, and well, let me put it this way too. Hungry leaders take think time. Think. What do I mean by that? Don't just work in it, in your, in your job, in your, in your leadership role, but work on it. Don't just work in it, work on it. And then separate I want to separate my personhood from my performance. What do you mean by that? I want to be able to take honest feedback and not say they're just being critical. If it's honest feedback and maybe there's some truth to it and I can be a little better, I want to receive that. Number, number five is lead upward. Uh, try to be, you should be the subject matter expert in your area. Don't wait on pastor to push you. Don't wait on somebody to push you. Figure out how to do this. Be proactive, courageous, tenacious. And then number six, and I'm closing. Understand that we're difference makers. We're here not to fill a position. Not to fill a place on Sunday morning. But we are here to make a difference. There's a world going to hell. There's people that need God. And I'm here to make a difference. And here's what I've got to understand. I've got to understand that when somebody's baptized... 
when somebody's filled with the Holy Ghost, uh, if I'm an usher out there, I contributed to that because I opened the door. I made them comfortable when they came in. We got a coffee shop in our lobby. So so I want the people that that, that pour coffee, that draw coffee up for people, I want, we, we celebrate with them. Hey, we had three or four get the Holy Ghost today. You're a part of that because you served them coffee. We're all, we're all part of making people feel good when they walk in the house of God so they're ready to receive. So I've got to move in that understanding that I'm making a difference in people's lives for the better. I'm making a difference in their lives between heaven and hell. Think of little boy. Walking down the beach one morning and the tide had come in and washed thousands of starfish up on that beach. And then the tide had rolled out and left those starfish there. And the little boy was just methodically, as he walked along, he'd pick up starfish and throw it in, pick up another one, throw it in. And a man stopped. The man was walking, coming the opposite direction towards the boy. And uh, he got to looking at him. So he walked on further. and So then he waited on the boy, and the boy was just going so as the boy got closer and close to the man, the man said, Son, you can't make a difference. There's thousands of starfish out here. The little boy looked at him, and with wisdom beyond his years, the little boy just looked at him and bent over, picked up another starfish, threw it in, and said, Made a difference to that one. And here's the thing. If we make a difference in one person's life, between heaven and hell, all heaven rejoices. Why don't we stand together right now? Would you stretch your hands out to Jesus right now and just uh, say, Lord, help me. Let's just talk to him. Help me, Jesus. Help me be what I ought to be, who I ought to be, what I ought to be, Lord. Help me be the leader I need to be. Thank you for this great church, God, this wonderful pastor and wife and family. Lord, thank you for the leadership that they've given through the years and help us even be better, God. Bless these precious people. Overshadow them in a mighty way. Thank you for them, God. Thank you for them, God. Thank you, Jesus. Help me. Make me what I ought to be, God. Help me, Lord. I need you desperately. I need to learn. I need to grow. I need to be better, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, folks. Man, I've enjoyed being with you. I love you. I'm looking forward to being with you tomorrow. Let's give our pastor a hand as he comes back.
settings that were not just mediocre. They were extremely limited. And he has practiced these things to the ultimate. My wife and I have watched them in Winston-Salem. And uh, they just kept pushing, shoving, loving, caring, sacrificing, and doing these things. And I will have to say, my wife shined as I listened to you. <laughs> she is uh, she is in line with that material, yes. and I really appreciate it. Yes. Why don't you look around and pick out somebody that you are going to pray for as a brother, a sister, that the Word of God can literally move in every one of us to unlimited potentials. That scripture, he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you can ask or think. Amen. But practicing truths and principles is critical. So let's praise the Lord, not pray again, but praise the Lord for an opportunity like tonight. Father, we shout aloud to you. Our hearts are grateful. Our minds are filled with thoughts. I praise you for the economy and the glory. I thank you for the facilities and thank you for the faculties of men and women. I praise you today. I magnify your name in this house. Oh, glory, glory. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I would like to say to you, I plan to do better myself. I thank you for several points that I had to me of, and uh, at the same time, I applaud so many of you that already are doing some Amen. of that, but I want to say again, I don't make many 90-degree turns. I do a sweep so that nobody falls off, and so uh, I'm not going to jump in tomorrow and make all the changes I need to make, I can tell you that. <laughs> After I looked at that, I saw so many changes, and I thought, man, if I do that, I'll be in reverse more than I will forward. <laughs> but I am going to try to do better. And uh, if not, I plan to we'll be second man somewhere else. So pray for me. anybody else got anything you'd like to ask Brother Foster prior to leaving? I know uh, we can't have a big Q&A, but all right. Thank you so much for being here and looking forward to another great day tomorrow. Thank you, Brother Foster. Tell your wife.